We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 6 to 9 this evening. 6 to 9. So we'll just read them. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 9. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if or because you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Paul in Athens was worried sick for the young church at Thessalonica because he and Timothy and Silas had to leave them because of persecution. And Paul is anxious that they are going to crumble uh, because of the opposition. And so what Paul does in Athens is send Timothy. Uh, he's willing to uh, lose uh, one of his best uh, workers in order that Timothy might strengthen the faith of the Thessalonians. And now Paul has moved to Corinth. That's important. You'll see why in a moment. And Timothy returns. We don't know how long Timothy's visit took, but probably after a few weeks or months, Timothy comes back from Thessalonica and he gives a report. So two things tonight. We'll look at Timothy's report of the church at Thessalonica and then Paul's response to the report. And I don't want you just to think of a congregation in a place in Greece 2,000 years ago. I want you to think of this church. If a Timothy was to be sent to us uh, to see how things were, or let's make it even better, if Jesus Christ was to come to us, think of the letters in Revelation where Jesus gave a report of the seven churches in Asia Minor, if the head of the church was to come to us, what kind of report would he have? Would it cause rejoicing or would it cause us to have to uh, repent and uh, return to the Lord? Or probably a little bit of those. So, Timothy's reports, and incidentally, uh, after his response, uh, Paul then does one thing. What does he do? For what thanks can we render to God for you? He prays. Uh, so, after we've looked at Paul's response in the coming weeks, we'll just close by looking at Paul's prayer. 
Timothy's report. What did Timothy have to say regarding the church in Thessalonica? Well, we know what he had to say because we started looking at it last Sunday. And it's so encouraging. But Paul breathed a sigh of relief. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news. The word for good news here is the same word as evangelize. The only time that the word evangelize is used in the New Testament for believers. It's usually referring to unbelievers. But Paul is saying here, the news that Timothy brought to us of your spiritual state was like hearing the gospel for the first time. Isn't that wonderful? That when you hear about maybe a church or a believer, it's like being saved all over again because it is so encouraging. Now, what was encouraging about the state of the church in Thessalonica? This is what we started looking at last time. Uh, we want to continue on this theme. What were the things that encouraged Paul? Well, we know what they are because he writes back to them. So uh, let's get the flow of things here. Here is Paul. He's arrived in Corinth and he's waiting anxiously for Timothy to return. You know what it's like uh, when you're waiting. Some of you are waiting now, aren't you, for your exam results. The tension builds up. Uh, the waiting is the worst part. And then once you have the results... Either you breathe a sigh of relief or you have to do resets. But Paul had this tension building. And then when Timothy came and gave an encouraging report, Paul is able to breathe again. And Paul is so excited, he writes this letter. I don't think he gave it any thoughts. He just put pen to paper and his heart is flowing in this letter. One commentator says, in 1 Thessalonians, you can feel Paul's pastor's heart beating. You don't have big theological statements here, as you do in Romans, but you have a heart here. Mr. Great Heart himself is revealing his uh, pastoral and evangelistic burden. And it's interesting what Paul doesn't say. It's interesting, isn't it, that what encourages Paul about the church in Thessalonica, what Timothy reported, was two things. Two things. He doesn't mention the size of the congregation. Often, when we ask uh, another believer who's from another church, how are things, what we mean is, how big is your church? Now, for Paul, that's nothing to do with the health of the congregation, uh, he's not thinking of how much money they've got. Again, we tend to think of our budget as a sign of our health. Now, all these things are secondary. They are important. But there's something else which is far more important. Paul isn't thinking of the number of resources that they have. We are blessed with that here. And it's of God. But that's not the essence of spiritual health. Paul isn't thinking, not that he had this, of how many hits on YouTube that they had. What is Paul thinking of when he's writing back and talking about a healthy church? What are the signs of a healthy church for us 2,000 years later? Two things, your faith and your love. Let me read them. 
But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. There you go. And that you always have good remembrance of us. Paul was worried. They've forgotten us. Oh, no, they hadn't. Sometimes distance makes love even fonder, doesn't it? Do you want a test of a good relationship? If you're going out with somebody and you want to know if the relationship will hold, then one of the best tests is separation for a period. And this was a test of the reality of the faith and the love of the Thessalonian church. The fact that they were separated from their dear pastor, that did not change their attitude. Faith and love. Verse 7, Paul uh, puts it in a very moving way. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. In all of the choking, pressing care. Think of the heat wave we had on Friday. It wasn't quite choking, was it, to breathe? Uh, I was talking to somebody after the service this morning, and uh, they had been up to the Everest base camp. And they were saying, uh, if you had to get out uh, in the morning, uh, you think you just get up and breathe the fresh air of the Himalayas, but you found you couldn't breathe properly. It was choking. And it's like that, isn't it? When, when you have fears and worries, especially if they're of a spiritual nature, it just chokes the spiritual life. It chokes prayer. It chokes praise. And the persecution, the crushing trouble, Paul says, all those dissipated when we heard the good news. I can breathe again, he says. That's the meaning in the original. I can breathe again. Imagine this great man of God breathing a sigh of relief. It's all right. It's all right. Faith and love. Faith and love. Here is one commentator. In his excitement, Paul makes no mention of the numerical size of the Thessalonian church. He makes no mention of the church's outward circumstances, except to note how bad they are. But it doesn't matter. What Paul highlights with great excitement and joy is the Thessalonians' faith in Christ and love for one another. John Calvin says, faith and love, that is the entire sum of true piety. True piety, a holy Christian life, faith toward Jesus Christ, love toward one another. And that's not normal love, it's agape love. We love one another because we love him. And we love him because he first loved us. Let me just give you a few other scriptures. This is so important because we need to readjust our uh, reformed minds here. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am convicted of reformed evangelical truths. But... And this is a huge but. You can have more godly Christians in other stables of the church. I remember to my shame when I was in university and in the Christian Union, we had a big uh, debate, and it wasn't that spiritual at times, over 
five points of Calvinism. Be careful that you don't get into a, a wrong kind of spirits talking about those wonderful truths. And it just gave a bad taste. And I can remember one person, he went to a Pentecostal church and he had more of the spirit of faith and love than the rest of us put together. So that's important. We believe what we believe, not just the gospel truths, but these other important truths. But there are other believers in other churches, and the sign of spiritual health is not how sound you are. You can be sound asleep. Do you know who knows scripture even better than you? The devil. I find people who are in the cults know their New Testament better than I do. Of course, they've been trained. It's not soundness on its own. You can be active. Think again of the Jehovah's Witnesses, how active and zealous they are in going around the doors, in doing things in the church. But that doesn't mean that they're spiritually alive. Faith. And love. You can't produce those in your own strength. They are spirits wrought. So let me give you some other scriptures. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 5. This is what Paul says. Now the purpose of the commandments, so think of any commandments. I'm not thinking of human tradition now. Think of a commandment in the Bible. Doesn't matter what it is. What's the purpose of that commandment? Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if I'm thinking of my obedience to God, whether it's keeping uh, commandments that are clear in the Bible or keeping things that we infer from the Bible if that doesn't produce more faith and love in me, I'm going about it the wrong way. And you know what? A brother or a sister who has less Bible knowledge, who has grown up in a less uh, privileged uh, Christian heritage than we have, if they are mixing faith and love with a little they know, then they're going to progress far more than we do. It's not how much we know. It's not how much we do. It's not how much we feel. But what we love and what we believe. How healthy are we, I wonder? And then what about Galatians 5, 6? If you want the beating heart, in Sinclair Ferguson's book on sanctification, he talks about the rhythm, the rhythm of sanctification. We sometimes need rhythm, don't we? Uh, if, if you've come uh, to a standstill in your spiritual life, if you've got into a rut, maybe you need a little bit of the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. What is the beating rhythm? This is Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Ah, that's our problem. We make the outward circumcised, uncircumcised. Do they use that Bible version? Do they use another? Do they sing 
old-fashioned hymns? Do they sing modern choruses? Uh, do they uh, believe in this system of church governments? Or do they believe in that system of church governments? Do they have thisism or do they have thatism? It doesn't matter, Paul says. None of that avails. When we get to heaven, all of that will be done away with. This is what matters. This is what counts. Only faith working through love. Is that us? Not easy believism, not head knowledge, but a faith that says, I believe, Lord. Even if I don't believe as much as I should, help thou mine unbelief. I believe because I want to follow. I want, O oh Lord, to obey. Not because I've been told that I have to, but because I love you. And because it's my delight to keep your word. Faith and love. And then one more, Philemon. That's only one chapter of a letter. And you know, Paul rejoiced over Philemon because I knew of your love and of the faith you have toward, toward who? Toward people who are like yourself? Oh, no. Toward all the saints. Now, that can be a challenge, can't it? There are some people we like naturally. There are some people we don't like naturally. And in a church where we're all different, that's going to be the case. But this love, this agape love, doesn't ask any questions. Did Jesus Christ ask any questions before loving us? He didn't. He saw us in our sin. He saw us as enemies. And he still loved us. And so agape love reaches to anybody. Uh, somebody was telling me about visiting a church. Now we are beginning to have women as well as men at the door and uh, these people were visiting a church and they had somebody at the door who looked like a punk rocker can you love them can you love them i was taking a funeral once and in the refreshment we had two goths they were dressed in a certain way that's how i recognized them as goths and you know what I plucked up the courage to speak to them. And I got on better with those two goths than with all the other people who were just religious. Do we have open hearts? Does our love reach across the board? Not just loving those that we naturally might like. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus had his close friends. There's nothing wrong with friendship as long as it doesn't become a clique. But love is more than that, is it not? I, I am so grateful to you as a church for allowing me to visit our missionaries. There's a saying, travels broadens the mind. But I think travel does more than that. It just broadens your vision. When you realize that the church of Jesus Christ isn't just Heath Church, it's not just the evangelical scene in Wales. It's a worldwide church. And when you have to love people who are of a completely different culture, that is a real lesson in love. So faith and love. Now, I said Paul, when he wrote this letter, was no longer in Athens, but in Corinth. That's significant. Why? Corinth, well, what kind of church was Corinth? Corinth was a church with many gifted 
people. Corinth was, the capi- uh, along with Athens, it was the capital of the cultured uh, elites, the philosophers, and that was reflected in the church. It had big personalities. It had many gifts, but it was very poor in its graces, wasn't it? Isn't, isn't it significant that Paul was in this church in Corinth when he was writing this letter and he had all these people who probably thought themselves greater than they really were. And I can imagine the relief in Paul's heart as he's writing this letter to these more down-to-earth believers in Thessalonian, in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, and he's just commending them for their faith and love. My friends, it's not great gifts, even though it's important to use our gifts. It's not great gifts, but great graces that God blesses. If you go to Aberystwyth, uh, there's St. Michael's Church, the Anglican Church, uh, right on the front there. And there's a car park. I don't know if this is still here. And they used to have gravestones uh, piled along the wall around the car park. And there's one gravestone you need to visit. It's Azariah Shadrach's grave. What a name. He was a 19th century minister, and he wasn't very good. That is, he wasn't gifted. Right? He wasn't gifted. But below his name, there is this verse. What he did, he did with all his hearts. He wasn't gifted, but my, he had grace. And what little he had, he used it for the Lord. Faith and love. May people come to our little church and may they not be impressed at the numbers. May they not be impressed at the resources that we have. May they not be impressed at how good God has been in terms of the budget. All of those things I do not want to depreciate. They are important, but there's something else, isn't there? Faith and love. May people see in this church, a church where the believers are really serious in their walk with God. Do we, do we have a faith? I, w- I was told again today that the shop next door to 122 is available. I don't have the faith to say, Lord, give us that. Give us that. Maybe someone else has. John Knox, do you know how much faith he had? Uh, he, he was the Scottish reformer many centuries ago. He would pray, Lord, give me Scotland. I don't have that. I don't have the faith to pray, Lord, give me Wales. I don't. I don't even have the faith to, Lord, Lord, pray, give me Cardiff. But can you start with, Lord, please convert those that are near and dear to me. Can, can you do that? If you've been praying for loved ones, can you continue to pray for them? And admit to the Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I can't say that I love the Lord greatly. I can't. We sang last Sunday the children's hymn. Uh, I like this. It is most wonderful to know his love for me so free and sure, but it is more wonderful to see my love to him so faint and poor. I like that. The hymnist is honest about the paucity of his own love, but that makes him wonder even more at the greatness of the love of Jesus. And yet I want to love thee. Don't you? I want to love thee, Lord. 
Oh, light the flame within my heart, and I will love thee more and more until I see thee as thou art. So that's Timothy's report. And Paul writes straight away this wonderful letter, and he says, you're a healthy church because you have great faith and love. May that be true of Heath Church 2022. Pray for our church that we would grow in faith and in love. And when we grow in those things, all the other things fit into place. And then, very quickly, what's Paul's response? What's Paul's response? Uh, does he just write this letter and say, well, that's it? Of course not. Paul was excited when he was writing this letter. Uh, let Paul speak for himself again. How did he put it? But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. A weight has been lifted off his shoulder. He'd been bowed down. He'd been heavy. But now he's feeling light. I can imagine Paul pacing up and down the room, excited because the Thessalonians, those believers that the Lord has given him, they are going on with the Lord. I'm sure Paul was jumping up and down. And then he says something. For now we live, verse 8, because you stand fast in the Lord. What's Paul's response? He's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. And he ties his own spiritual well-being with the spiritual health of the church. The apostles' comfort and joy is akin to a foretaste of resurrection from the dead. When he says, we live, he doesn't just say, now I can breathe again. Now I can breathe a sigh of relief again. He says, now we really live. Now we've had a new lease of life. Now it's as if we've been brought from death to life in the trials. We have been burnt to ashes. But out of the ashes, the good news that Timothy has brought has caused us to rise up with the wings of a phoenix. My friends, when Christians are going on with the Lord, it's like a new lease of life to a church. When people are saved, it's like a breath of fresh air to the church. When you meet believers from a different church, even churches that we may have looked down to, and when you realize their faith and love, it's like a shot in the arm, is it not? I'm amazed sometimes at the places that God has his people Now we live because you're standing fast in the Lord. Do you want to know why the church in our country is in such a state? Because we as pastors can't be bothered. Paul said, if you are not flourishing, neither am I. I'm depressed if you are not going on with the Lord. Aren't we too apathetic? We who are pastors and as believers, aren't we? Paul had such a big heart. Uh, there was a man called John. Have you heard of John Chrysostom? One of the most powerful preachers in the early church. John Goldenmouth. That's good, isn't it? A preacher with a golden mouth. And this is how he wrote to the congregation he was looking after. There is nothing I love more than you. No, not even light itself. I would gladly have my eyes put out 10,000 times over 
if it were possible by this means to convert your souls. So much is your salvation dearer to me than light itself. This one thing is the burden of my prayers that I long for your advancement. But that in which I strive with all of this is that I love you, that I'm wrapped up in you, that you are my all. Father, mother, brethren, children. We've already come across those phrases in this letter. It's Paul's children. He's a mother, he's a father to them. And it's not just to the church, is it? Paul had a burden of an evangelist. I can't say this of myself. I have great sorrow and unrelenting grief in my heart for... I uh, wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, the Jewish people. Do you have such a burden for uh, unbelievers that you would wish that for yourself? I can't say that. Could it be here that God needs to deal with us more than anything else? That we have a burden, a burden for the church, a burden for the lost. We don't want greater things, more spectacular things. We just want to have a burden, surely. You don't have to have great gifts to feel for somebody, do you? What about Jeremiah? We've been looking at him on Sunday mornings. This is the way Jeremiah thought of the church. He had the message of God's judgment, and yet he wasn't proud. He was a broken man with a broken message, and many times he would say, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. When did we last weep for the state of the church? Did we weep over the last few years, or do we gloat? It breaks the hearts of the Saviour when there is division amongst his people. We take sides. We should weep. We should weep. One of the last sermons I heard Gareth Davis preach was many years ago. Even de- It was decades ago. That makes me feel old. And it was in the Aberystwyth Conference. And in the middle of his sermon, he just stopped and cried. And he apologised to the congregation. And I was sitting next to an older Christian lady and she said to me after, Gareth Bach, that word Bach again, little Gareth, don't apologise for weeping. Keep on crying, Gareth. And if you've got tears for the church, don't feel awkward. Keep on weeping because God has a little bottle that he's keeping your tears in. And when the time comes, God, I'm sure, will answer. So Paul ties his spiritual uh, vitality with the state of the church. And then one thing, it's one thing he mentions. For now we live because you're standing fast in the Lord. This is what made Paul rejoice. Those young believers haven't folded because of opposition. They're still standing. Are we still standing? Are we still standing? When you were converted, how long ago was it when you were saved? 1990, I was saved. I mentioned this morning that many who made a profession of faith at the same time in the CU, even presidents, are now no longer walking with the Lord. They're not standing. Why am I still standing? Is it because I've got some, uh, I don't know, resilience? I hope it's not, because I'm not going to stand for long if that's the case. 
Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. It's by grace, right? It's by grace. Why are you still? Why are you still standing? Why are you still go? Are you still going on with the Lord? Because there are people who've been to this church over the decades, and people who were very involved in the life of this church, and some of them are no longer walking with the Lord, are they? Isn't that frightening? Why are we still here? It's because of grace. It's because of God. It's He that we need to give thanks to. What thanks can we render to God for you? What is the legacy of dear Vernon Hyam, mightily used of God? I know he's got hymns. I know he's got... Uh, recordings of his sermons and other things, and they are good things. But to me, the real legacy of Vernon Hyam's ministry is the fact that many of you who are converted under him are still standing. You can't account for that in any other way. Are we still standing, or are our hearts drifting? Backsliding always begins in the heart. It never begins when a person goes out and out away from the Saviour. Something has already started in the heart. That's my fear, that in our hearts, we're not even aware that we're drifting. You know, when, when you're drifting, um, uh, let me, I'm trying to think of an example, um, walking uh, in the hills. I haven't been up a mountain for a few years now, but uh, I can remember walking in the Kerngorms, and uh, the mist was coming down, and I was following uh, compass bearing. And all you have to do is go off one degree. And at first, you don't go that far off. But after a mile or so, you've drifted completely. Are we still standing? Let me read some words of Spurgeon. He wrote in the 19th century, Spurgeon's one of my heroes. I hope he's one of your heroes. Dearly beloved, I have often rejoiced in God as I have seen the work of the Spirit among you. It is no small joy that for many years we have never been without an increase in the church. During these years, some have turned back to our great sorrow and some have flagged to our grief. But others have persistently carried on the work of God and have developed gifts and graces which have made them qualified for larger spheres. For all this, our hearts must be grateful. We can say something like that, can't we? We've not known as much blessing. I give that, but we can say something like that. And then he goes on. But these are evil times. These are times like the which I have not before seen. When the foundations are removed, everything seems to be drifting. Men know not what they are. How true that is today. Men know not what they are. Half the professing church of the present day, do not know their heads from their heels, and the half that do know seem inclined to take their heels and run. It is a matter of life and death for us that you should be rooted, grounded, and settled. Uh, that's why I read from Ephesians chapter 6. What is God requiring of you and me in these, if it was the 19th century the Spurgeon was writing about, what would he say today? What does God require of us? Not something spectacular. That's what we think, don't we? Oh, if only I could do something big for the Lord. But that's your ego speaking. 
What is God's requirement as I come to a conclusion? Well, it's quite simple. To keep on standing. To keep standing. Ephesians 6. Aware of your weakness. Aware that without his grace you cannot even continue for one second. And this is what we are told. Be strong, not in yourself, in the Lord. And in the power of his might. And then... Take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, what? To keep on standing. I know it's a song, but it could be a hymn, couldn't it? I'm still standing. If that's you, give thanks to your Saviour that he has kept you. Uh, We've got a saying, haven't we? Uh, Being kept, being kept, it's good. When you ask a person, how are you? And they say, "Um, I'm keeping all rights. If they're a believer, say to them, being kept, you're being kept. And may we stand. And what do we do? What makes us drift? Do you know what causes you to drift? I, when my uh, nephews and niece were young, I used to play Mario, um, what's that game on uh, Wii, the car, you know? The, the car, I, I was useless at it. I was going all over the place. Because I could not keep my eyes on the road. Keep your eyes on the road and your hands upon the wheel. And I couldn't do it. I could not. I got distracted left, right and centre, if that makes sense. What causes us to drift? We lose our focus. We've got Jesus Christ, the forerunner of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Looking unto Jesus, that's what makes a person still stand. The devil loves to distract Christian people. He loves, if anything else, takes the place of Jesus. May this church continue to make the big thing the big thing. And may we each day refocus on Jesus Christ because our tendency is to drift. May God draw near to us. I'll finish there. We'll have to carry on next time. But we're going to sing now Stand Up. Stand Up for not your own cause, not some ism, however reformed it may be, but stand up, stand up for Jesus. And this this is just a glorious hymn, and uh, we'll end by singing this.
Father, we praise Thee that we are more than conquerors only through Him that has loved us, and we pray that we will just be aware of our great weakness, and yet not uh, desponding, but looking to Him and being absolutely confident. Increase our faith and love, and as we continue in these verses to look at how we stand, just bless us in the practicalities. May there be nothing that we do that is not uh, of faith and love. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.